All right, welcome back to episode two of Rambling with Ryu. I'm Bean. And I'm Nancy. And today we're going to give a little bit more insight into Ryu and we'll talk about our main program, activity-based training. So I guess let's talk about our name. So where did Ryu come from? Which is a question we get asked quite a bit. Yes. Uh, Ryu doesn't actually stand for anything. It's a completely made-up word, which the beauty of it for us is we can completely brand it to our mission, vision, and who we are and what we do. Yep, exactly. So we had said that we got a marketing agency to help us with our name. And so what we told them is that, like when I was paralyzed, I call it my rebirth day. And so some people call it a life day, but it's a life altering day. And so, you know, we said that here we kind of, we work on the whole you, body, mind, and spirit. So we kind of redo you. And so that's how they came up with Ryu, which we think is awesome and it works really well for us. They also gave us our tagline, which is reconnect, retrain, redefine. Yeah, so we're reconnecting the brain to the body. So below the level of injury, we're retraining the nervous system and we're redefining what is possible. Yeah, that's right. So those three words really embody who we are, what we're striving to do, kind of in a a very short nutshell. Yeah. And this sounds really good too. Yeah, so that's our name and tagline. And then our logo. So we'll talk a little bit about the Phoenix. Why the Phoenix? Yeah, so I wanted the Phoenix from the get-go because of what it represents, right? So the Phoenix, it dies, and from its ashes, it's reborn. And I feel like the same kind of thing kind of happens going when with any person going through adversity. Um, you kind of fall, and then you get burned, <laughs> and then you rise up from that. So you're rising up through the face of adversity, um, and it works really well with the rest of our name and our tagline. Yeah, and the color. Why the color green? In in a short answer, it's my favorite color. It happens to be Bean's favorite color too, which was just coincidental. (laughs) Um, Green also represents growth and change. Yep, it vibes really well, and we really wanted to brighten up our space. Like, I've been to a lot of gyms or, or clinics and facilities that just have a very, like, medical feel, and that's not what we wanted here. We wanted it to be bright. We wanted it to be fresh. We wanted it to be inviting, and so our color of green just helps it pop that much more. Yeah, and then if you ever come through our doors, you'll see all the crazy colors. (laughs) (laughs) And all the awesome artwork done by local artists. And uh, just gives our space so much personality. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some, uh, let's talk about activity-based training. First, Nancy, I'm going to start by asking, you know, where did you go to learn about activity-based therapy? Yeah, so most people would probably think that I learned this in my degree. So I have my Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology, like I mentioned in the last episode, but that's not the case. Uh, I was very fortunate to take a few neuroscience classes in university, but it was very little was touched on with, you know, spinal cord injury and rehab after, you know, a life-altering, you know, neurologic condition. So where I went was to the U.S. So I went south of the border mm-hmm. to really get all the knowledge and I paid out of pocket because I was very passionate about it and I was very interested in it. So I went and I learned from uh, Project Walk. So I went down with Bean for a week and I did the Train Your Trainer program, learned about their program and, you know, got the confidence mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I can do this here in Canada by myself. And it was after that that I'm like, well, I still want more knowledge. I still want to know more. So I went down and trained from the Neuro Recovery Training Institute so they're a part of the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. So Christopher Reeve uh, was a Superman back in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. who unfortunately broke his neck. Um, but 
because out of that came a lot of a lot of good stuff. Um, they are big proponents of research and mm-hmm. finding that cure for spinal cord injury. So they're driving force um, in the states and I mean worldwide, really spurring forth the the recovery and the progress yeah. for that. He really did a lot of advocating and brought a lot of awareness to spinal cord injury because before that there hadn't been a celebrity mm-hmm. with a spinal cord injury. So he had done and still is doing so yeah, much for that him. had such a public face and image, yeah. right? I mean, I'm sure there was more celebrities that have injured, but, you know, people tend to isolate and hide away once they've, you know, yeah. got, experienced that uh, big change. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Neuro Recovery Network mm-hmm. uh, was a big part of my uh, learning experience and just really connecting with professionals that are so invested in the recovery side of spinal cord injury. Um, I mean, that's the, the biggest thing they do. Um, but I mean, you can extrapolate it to other neurologic conditions, the, the base training. Uh, so I went and I learned about locomotor training. That's their specific activity-based training program. We're going to go a little bit more in depth into the different types of activity-based therapies. Um, so I took the adults, beginner and advanced, and I loved it so much. I went back for more. I was known as the lone Canadian wolf down there. I just kept coming back by myself. And I mean, I, at the time I was my fourth year university just, yeah. and then newly graduated when I kept going back and, you know, people asked me like, what are you doing down here? Why are you here? And I'm like, well, I want to learn and you have the knowledge, so give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and extracted some information. <laughs> But no, they're very, very willing to share their knowledge and just fantastic, humble people to learn from. And and that's the best, I think, way to learn is the people that are teaching you mm-hmm. are willing to learn from you as well, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a give and take. And, you know, if you have the question and they don't have the answer, they're okay to admit that. And, you know, that's another research question. And that's another yeah. thing that's going to, you know, push the field forward, which I really loved. Yeah. And I think in spinal cord injury research, especially, there's no room for ego, right? Because this is something that we don't know a lot about and Mm -hmm. things are changing so fast. Nobody can know everything. Mm -hmm. And from the few people, the researchers that you've met, and I've met a few other ones as well, they all have that same kind of demeanor. Like we can learn from each other. Each person is so different that like we need to be able to learn. And I love that most people don't have an ego in this field. Yeah. Well, it's passion. It's pure passion. Like you're not in this field to make money. (laughs) You're in it because you truly love it. And so I think that's what connects us all on that deeper level is we all really do truly enjoy it. So yeah, that's the Neuro Recovery Network and that's where I got most of my uh, knowledge after the fact. I mean, I've also attended conferences as well. So I attended the Canadian Spinal Cord Injury Conference, the American Spinal Cord Injury Conference. Um, the American Conference was kind of eye-opening for me and the fact that Canada's a lot further behind. Mm-hmm. So I was one of two Canadians at that conference. I think I went in 2015. So you know, newly graduated. You went down, I think I went down in September, October. It was Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty fresh. Uh, And yeah, it was me and a doctor from Montreal, the two Canadians. I mean, we could, you know, reminisce about all the snow that they couldn't relate to. (laughs) So it was was pretty fantastic. But uh, the knowledge base and because the U.S. is, I I would say, a bigger hub for Mm -hmm. research um, and just, you know, being private, a lot of the companies yeah. and a lot of pharmaceutical companies are pushing research, yeah. um, which which has its own issues with that. But it's pushing, you know, the research forward and the mm-hmm. 
possible recovery forward as well. So just the, the quality at the conference was, and the caliber of yeah. uh, speakers was a lot higher. And so the knowledge base that you get at just a single conference was you know, phenomenal. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And just seeing your passion for it and how eager you are to learn as much as you can and then take what you learn and translate it into your sessions with your clients just goes to show how, you know, dedicated you are, right? And how much you really believe in this. And just because you are so confident and you believe it and you're passionate, so passionate, it really translate in, translates what you do to your clients. And uh, we me and all of our clients are very, very grateful for you being so eager. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. And like I said, we're, we're here because we're passionate about it. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about um, our program of activity-based training. Um, well, let's break it down into the components. Yeah. So before we break it down, we're just going to give a quick overview of what is activity-based sure. therapy. So activity-based therapy refers to interventions that uh, target activation of the neuromuscular system below the level of injury. So with the goal of primarily retraining a motor task. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that's the big umbrella term. <laughs> so there's tons of centers across the U.S. and across the, the globe, actually, that all do activity-based training programs that all might look a little bit different. Um, so locomotor training is uh, a very specific uh, type of intervention that... Um, has its protocols. So that's the one that I went and learned in the States. Uh, and it focuses a lot more on locomotor training. So that's that walking, that treadmill training. Mm -hmm. uh, so most of the other centers, I would say, fall under kind of the model of activity-based training developed by Project Walk. So Project Walk is really one of the pioneers. You know, they started in 1999 and, and really progressed through the 2000s to, you know, the early you know, 2010s, mm -hmm. and they really pushed, I would say, activity-based training to the forefront and in increased its popularity with, you know, not only individuals with spinal cord injuries, but the medical community as well, mm -hmm. especially in the United States was where they're primarily um, franchised and developed, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, definitely had an impact worldwide where yeah. people were creating and opening centers that were modeled after Project Walk. So I'd say, you know, we, we owe a lot to the work they did, the mm -hmm. research they did, um, really pushing, you know, it forward. Yeah, Project Walk really did, they built a lot of credibility around activity-based therapy and they had a lot of clout. Um, they have definitely left a huge legacy behind them and, you know, we're grateful for all the hard work they did because without them, I don't know if we'd be here. Well, yeah, I mean, even like you said, you went down to California, you trained at Project yeah. Walk, right? I mean, yeah. I got some of my initial training from Project Walk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the foundations, you know, you go and find, you yeah. know, where you can learn. Yeah. And Southern California is not a bad place to go. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about our program of activity-based training. Yeah, for sure. So like we mentioned, there's, you know, the umbrella term of activity-based therapy mm -hmm. and each center has their own version of that. Uh, so here at Ryu, we have uh, a program that has four basic components kind of in every single session. So the first one that probably has the biggest impact on daily life is core training. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a good core, life is a little more challenging. Activities of daily living become more inefficient. So, you know, life becomes a little more challenging when you don't have a good core. Yep. You can't really do anything without a core. You can't sit, you can't stand, you can't balance, you mm -hmm. can't do anything. So it is vitally important. What do you say to people who say, I don't have a core? Yes, you do. <laughs> Unless you've had it surgically removed. 
right? And remember, the core is more than just your abs. The core is, you know, your entire trunk. So, you know, cut off all your limbs. That's your core. Mm -hmm. Everything that's not cut off. (laughs) Right? So everything from, you know, squeezing your shoulder blades together, those muscles are your core, right? To your lats, those are also part of your core. Mm -hmm. Your abs, yes, the traditional six-pack, those that's part of your core too, but it's just a part. It's not the entire thing, right? And then your obliques and your back extensors, there's so much depth to your core and so many different layers. Mm -hmm. So it's important to realize it's not just your abs, So when somebody sustains a spinal cord injury, nine times out of 10, their core is going to be affected. Mm -hmm. People also develop the quad belly or parabelly. So what's happening there? So the parabelly in essence is really just your muscles have kind of deactivated. So when your muscles aren't innervated uh, like they were before, you basically get all the muscles relaxing. When the muscles all relax, your organs kind of push everything out. So when your organs push everything out, it looks like you have a little belly. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you ever think about the baby belly, mm-hmm. so little toddlers running around, their belly's hanging out. Yeah. It's not because they're fat. <laughs> you know, you may have the baby pudge, but that doesn't mean they're going to be fat. Right. <laughs> right? So it's the neuromuscular control. So it's the ability to actually, you know, hold your organs in and keep everything together. Mm-hmm. You know, with a child, it happens fairly quickly, but they still, for a period of time, do have that little baby belly, which helps actually counterbalance them and serves a function. Okay. <laughs> but with the spinal cord, injury it's that neuromuscular control so once you get it back you're able to actually contain those ab- those those organs and abs and hold everything together mm-hmm. because gravity doesn't work with you when you have heavy organs it actually yeah. just kind of like pulls everything out <laughs> so keeping that in mind when you're doing activity and exercise it's it's not just can you contract them it's in which direction are you contracting them right are you pushing them out are you pulling them in what are you actually doing yeah fair enough I mean, like sitting is also the most unflattering position that the human body can be in. And so when you're sitting, your belly is going to stick out more. So I feel like people just feel, you know, insecure Mm -hmm. and like fat. You feel really fat whether you are or not, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've seen a lot of really thin people have the parabelly. Yes. And it's quite annoying. Can it be fixed or can it be reversed? I mean, that's an individual process. Everybody's journey is going to be different. But I mean, theoretically, you can work at it and, you know, reduce it, whether you can completely get rid of it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right? I there's, know. there's a lot of unknowns, but I mean, I've seen lots of people with high-level injuries like T3, T4 that get back some musculature in their core. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, containing the belly, it is a little more challenging, too, in the fact that if you think about your bicep, it attaches bone to bone. Right. Right? So the muscles, you know, attaching from your shoulder to, to just below your elbow. Mm-hmm. Whereas your abs, it attaches to ribs, which are movable, mm-hmm. and it's more like cartilage, mm-hmm. right? And then you, it attaches to your pelvis, which which is stable, but then you have the linea alba, which is kind of like the middle part of your abs, right? right? So it's that line it attaches into, it's basically fascia, which is kind of like tendinous tissue, mm-hmm. if you will, but it's all movable. So when it's all movable, it's a lot harder to actually activate those muscles, right? Right. So that's where it becomes a little more tricky to really get that good activation and neuromuscular control back because it's, it's gushy. Mm-hmm. It, it moves around, <laughs> right? If you think about a water balloon, try and get that to now firm up. Right? Yeah, you stick it in the freezer. But but really, so you're really trying to get that control in that area. So that's yeah. why back muscles are actually a little bit easier to get than your tummy muscles. Right. Right? So that's another factor that plays into it as well. Yeah. Cool. Well learning new things today. Um 
Okay, let's talk about the next component. Yeah, so active assistance exercises, that's our... Then these components are in no particular order Mm -hmm. as well, right? There's four components. We're just saying them in this order today. (laughs) They're all equally important. (laughs) Yes. I mean, this one more so than others. So we we consider active assistance exercises as the foundation to our program. Uh, This is really where you reconnect the brain to your muscles below the level of injury. This is the hard hard brain work that that really pays off. Mm -hmm. So with AAE, um, it may look like to the outsider just passive range of motion, but it's not that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that passive movement does not change brain pathways or, or any central nervous system pathways. Mm-hmm. So active, uh, active movements will create the change that we're really going for. So the client is really thinking about the movement as you're, as you're doing it, as you're assisting. So it's, it's assistive in that they might need their legs supported against gravity, mm-hmm. but they're really initiating. They're getting that flicker before you're moving. If you're just moving it for them, mm-hmm. you know, they can do that with their home care at home or with a family member, but you're here to really tune into their nervous system to get them to give you the response that they're, you're looking for, right? You're getting them to really tap into that flicker, that little twitch, that tiny, minute thing that they can't feel on their own. Mm-hmm. And so this is where your cueing becomes really important. You, both both verbal and physical, mm-hmm. knowing your musculoskeletal system, knowing your anatomy, super important to be able to, you know, tap in and find, let's say you're doing hip flexion, right? Do you know where the hip flexors are? Do you know the ones you can actually palpate? Mm-hmm. Are you able to actually, you know, be like, this is where you're focusing, this is where you're thinking. If they're not getting it, can you change up your cueing enough to be like, pull your knee to your chest or stomp away? Or maybe it's, you know, every cue is going to be different for different people because of their different experiences. So not everybody plays sports. Not everybody relates to a certain analogy. Mm -hmm. So being able to connect, you know, getting them to connect on their level, which is really going to drive their recovery forward and make things click. And when it clicks, you're going to feel it, you're going to see it, and you're going to go more, right? You're going to go through that repetition when Mm -hmm. when it clicks. Right. And then after you've gone through those repetitions, once it's clicked, you're going to change it up. You're going to create that variation because it's really important that we give this nervous system different variation. Mm -hmm. So just a quick example of a study, they um, taught cats how to walk and they taught cats how to stand. But there was no crossover between walking and standing. They couldn't do both. So when they taught the cat to walk and to stand, it could do both. It didn't perform nearly as well as the cats who only walked in the walking or the cats who stood in standing, Mm -hmm. but it could do both. Right. So that's where it becomes important to train in every possible, you know, (laughs) stimulus that you can give the nervous system and position because we do have clients that get what we call positional strength. Right. In one position, they can activate that muscle like nobody's business. You change it up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. They can't find it. So the nervous system needs to learn all the different positions it can possibly move in. So if you think about an infant, how it does all of the uh, you know, seemingly random movements, mm-hmm. but they're all with purpose. The nervous system is organizing itself in that way. So when it, the nervous system isn't able to execute those uh, commands by itself, we need to create that stimulus from the outside to allow it to connect from, so it's the top down from the bottom up. We're trying to match them in the middle. Awesome. Yeah. And like the difference with, with kids is when they're growing and... <clears throat> their nervous system is connecting and their reflexes are integrating, 
this is all nature. Oh, it's innate. It's right? innate. They don't yeah. have to think about it. You don't think it. about it. It's just this is how things are going to happen. As an adult or even somebody with complex thought, mm -hmm. right? And when you have a spinal cord injury, it's way more frustrating because you don't have that um, that intuition, mm -hmm. right? That uh, what kids have that like, okay, well, this step is next. This is how I do things. And you actually have to think about each muscle. And that's the really frustrating part too with active, active assistance exercises is like, it's the, it's the brain work. It's very heavy brain work and it's a lot of, I mean, you say it all the time, 90% brain, 10% muscle, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm one of the people who likes to just gather all my muscles to flex everything in order to like flex my toe, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And uh, so really trying to hone in as a client, trying to find those muscles, especially when you can't feel anything sensation-wise, um, it makes it really difficult. And so we try to use tools to help. We place mirrors mm -hmm. so that the person can see that they're, see their limb while they're thinking about moving it. We do whatever we can to help our client reach success. Yeah. So, I mean, on a couple notes in there, that was a lot of information <laughs> in a very short span, but, uh, we never work into the frustration, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we know that a negative, you know, mind space and head space can really, you know, be detrimental to that recovery process and create a negative association with AAE, with mm -hmm. the active assistance exercises. Um, that being said, you're not always going to have good days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, picking and choosing how much time you're going to spend with it. Maybe it's a day where you do a lot less of that and do a lot more of you know punching and cardio and and different you know get out that frustration get out that anger mm -hmm. um, but realize that active assistance exercises can be done in any different position it's just where your focus is right right so maybe they need to you know do some kicking you know today with assistance or they need to do something else rather than just lying on their back in supine which is the traditional position mm -hmm. right or side lying or or belly I guess that table work mm -hmm. which is really that traditional AAE side of things but it can be done in standing it can be done in so many different positions which you know you as a as a specialist really mm -hmm. need to capitalize on and understand what are they in the mood for today and where can we be the most successful and get the most connection to the nervous system because that's why they're here we ha really have one hour to maximize the effectiveness of you know kick-starting the nervous system for recovery yep so another part of, you know, being very successful with the active assistance exercises is changing that mindset. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how do you change that mindset to reflect that positive recovery that you're seeking? So again, this is all in very individual, right? And uh, it took me a few years to really understand this and to change my mindset um, I completely dissociated myself from my left leg and when things were coming back for me, my right leg came back a lot faster. And so I started calling my right leg my good leg and my left leg my bad leg. I also named my legs. My right leg was Ricardo and my left leg was Lazy Left Leg Lopez. And uh, I had already created a negative context to my left leg and I didn't realize how deep that was going to be buried in my brain. But constantly calling my leg Lopez, yelling at him, they were boys because they don't listen to me. And I just, like I had completely dissociated myself. And I wasn't seeing the recovery I wanted for a few reasons, but definitely my mindset had a big part to do with that. And I didn't really realize how bad it was until I saw my osteopath 
who at one point was holding both of my feet and said, my left leg feels like a prosthetic. He's like, there's no life force in it. It just feels like it's limp here. It's not attached to your body. It's physically attached to your body, but energetically it's not. And I knew exactly what he was saying. And so it was after that day that I switched my mindset. So now I call my legs my legs. My left leg is my left leg. My right leg is my right leg as they are a part of my body. And so if I want to see success and if I want to reconnect to it, first I have to take ownership and really think of my body as a whole. And um, even the parts that don't work are still part of my body. And if I want them to work, I have to really like think of them that way. And sometimes it's hard, right? You get really frustrated. And especially when you have a lot of spasticity and it keeps you up at night or whatever. And even during the day, sometimes your legs are just spasming out of control and you get really frustrated and so I used to and still do hit my legs <laughs> it's not good you're not supposed to but sometimes you're just like I don't even know what else to do I'm just gonna punch you because <laughs> it's that frustration yeah. right but then I mean I do try to remember like okay if they're spasming that means they want something they want to move and oftentimes I've been sitting in my chair for far too long mm -hmm. and there is a reason why they're spasming or something's uncomfortable but I'm not willing to tap into my body to listen mm -hmm. right because that takes patience and sometimes you just don't have any and you're just like I have like a million things I need to do today my body needs to cooperate but it is important to really look inside and uh, talk about your inner dialogue, right? Change that inner dialogue from a negative to a positive, reinforcing like positive affirmations to yourself, which can sometimes get a little hippy-dippy and a little cheesy. But I mean, the big ones, we have a lot of clients who initially come in and say, I can't, I yes. can't, I can't. And I mean, and that's something some of say, I will. Yeah. or I can, yeah. right? And that's something we, we cut out really quick early on is, is that dialogue. I mean, it, it stems over from what you've been told, mm -hmm. right? And, and the, you know, stereotypes and the stigmas from society mm -hmm. and, you know, all the information you're feeding on, you know, that you're hearing mm -hmm. in and around you. But one thing that comes through that store is, you, you know, don't, don't say I can't. Yeah. You say I can't, <laughs> you will. You will. <laughs> right? It, yeah. it may not be the same way you did it before, yeah. but you yeah, and that's something that we constantly work on. We have a giant sign of our rules of reuse rules of conduct at our front door. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing is you can, and we have the T crossed out because you can. Mm -hmm. If you believe in yourself, you are most likely going to be able to do it. All right, so let's just use a personal example for, you know, during a session for mm -hmm. active assistance exercises. So your left hip starts spasming. What mm -hmm. do I tell you to do? Uh, well, first, my initial reaction is to fight it, right? So if I'm usually laying on my back, my hip flexor will flex up, so my knees at my chest. And my initial reaction, like I said, is just to take my hand, push on my knee, and push it all the way down, think about my butt. But then you were just like, if it's flexing, work with it, let it flex, but flex harder. So bring that knee all the way up to your chest. If it wants to flex, flex hard. And so that's what I started doing is, okay, instead of fighting it, be like, okay, if you want to flex, let's flex. Let's flex hard. And then once you do, then you it relaxes. And then you can think of the other muscles, your quad and your glutes, to kick it down the other way. So again, it's that mindset and being patient is 
like a big quality that a lot of us don't have. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a work in progress, right? I mean, you know, when you have the days where you're able to clearly think about what you're doing and what your body's doing, it's going to work better for you. But I mean, that's not going to be every single day and that's okay, Mm -hmm. right? But the more you can transition into that mindset, the the better it's going to be. Yeah, spasticity is definitely frustrating. It's also a double-edged sword. You know, it's great that I have muscles, I have good bone density, but the frustrating part is that I don't control it. And so... Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that spasticity is the beginnings of control, mm-hmm. right? When we Spasticity is that disorganized nervous system. Mm-hmm. It, it's just giving a lot of information all at once with no real purpose, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, imagine your room of 100 people, everybody's all talking at once. Yeah. Who are you listening to? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody, right? (laughs) So everybody's talking all at once. So that kind of leads me to one of my favorite analogies that soon will be by the wayside because radios are kind of going out of style, but uh, radio static, Mm -hmm. right? When you're trying to connect to a muscle, are you squeezing your arms, your abs, all trying to get to your big toe? Mm -hmm. The more you squeeze, the less that's actually getting to your big toe. So everything's going everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But what you really want to do is relax your arms, relax your abs, and then find it with your mind. So from the inside out, you have to find that toe, Mm -hmm. right? And that's that growing, burning sensation, Most what most people describe, Mm is all the way down to your toe and then but it starts where does it start it starts way up in your upper body goes down to your hip down to your knee all the way down your tibia down to your toe Mm -hmm. right so it's got to go all the way down there and that's a long way from where your brain is Mm -hmm. right so expect there to be a delay Mm -hmm. expect it to take longer than what you would expect it's not gonna you know let's just say as fast as you blink you don't have to think about it it's a matter of milliseconds that you can blink right whereas you know getting to your toe five, six seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, minimum to try and actually start to get that feeling and sensation. And once you have it, you tap into it and you make it grow bigger, bigger, bigger. So you might just be holding that, you know, toe for 30 seconds in your mind to be like, make it grow bigger. Mm Definitely a lot of brain work involved in this. It is. And I, and I think that's the, the, one of the big things about many of our sessions that our clients say is that, you know, their brain is tired. We have many people who, you know, first couple sessions here, they're sleeping on the way home, right? They're tired because it is a lot of work and you were changing yeah. your body, yeah. right? And another thing we say too is if your body, body is tired, let it rest, mm-hmm. sleep because your body heals when it sleeps. Yeah. So take the time and don't feel guilty about having naps. Yeah. <laughs> right? If you need one, take one. But then you might just have to plan it into your day. When do you do your sessions? Right. And when do you need to be productive, you know, and, yeah. and do daily life? Yeah. And a lot of our clients do leave here sometimes with headaches because the brain work is so much. Um, and yeah, they sleep a lot. And even for myself in my first few years of doing neurorecovery, I would sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen a lot of benefit from it. All right, so just to wrap up active assistance exercises, uh, as a specialist, as somebody who works with, you know, a individual with paralysis, you really need to be able to hone in on their nervous system. You need to be able to understand it better than they do. It's not that they don't n- understand it and know it, but it's their new normal. Mm-hmm. They, na- they now need help interpreting that. So the better uh, you can really tap into what's going on from the outside in, they can now give you the response and feedback from the inside out. And that results in the correct action. Mm -hmm. So really understanding that, honing in on it, um, it becomes especially important for individuals with spasticity. 
if you can get them to quiet their nervous system, movement comes, movement mm -hmm. happens. And that's the exciting part. But when you're trying to, and that's where I say that, you know, 10% effort, you know, 110% brain, we're really saying scale back how much effort you're putting into it because we need the clear signals to go through. And mm -hmm. when you're putting too much effort in, the clear signals are not getting through, right? So as, as silly as it sounds, it really does work and people do find it effective when you can actually tap into that. So being able to tell somebody to scale it back, because we, we do have very ambitious clients that come here and they want to work really hard and they have that athlete background and it's always been the harder you work, the more you get. Yeah. Whereas now we're saying the harder you think, yeah. the more you get, <laughs> yeah. right? But then there is such a thing as overthinking. Mm -hmm. Don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it, right? So it comes back to your job as a specialist is to see, are they getting more tense? Are they getting more spasms? Are they in the wrong muscles? Mm -hmm. And you to reflect that and tell them that. And I mean, it may sound like you're constantly nitpicking, but it's what they need to really dial in their nervous system and understand it. Because once they get it, then you're like, that's it right there. Hold on to that. Keep it going. Mm -hmm. So for every client, it's a little bit different. Their tolerance level for, you know, that nitpicking will be different. Mm -hmm. But understand that if you're letting them compensate and do something the way that's incorrect mm -hmm. that is not going to benefit them yeah so everything we do has purpose and every you know appropriate kinematics mm -hmm. super important the the posture super important so really understanding that you know we're not just training hip flexion we're training the whole body to hip flex right right it's not just that single movement you have to look up the chain you have to look at everything well, mm -hmm. when we say up the chain you look up and down yeah. right it's <laughs> yeah. all connected so that's really important to understand as a trainer as a specialist and even as a client mm -hmm. that your entire body reacting to you connecting to a certain piece matters yep Right? Yeah. I'm thinking a lot of people also just don't think of their bodies as whole. Mm -hmm. Right? People, especially I find in North America, we compartmentalize things. Mm -hmm. Right? Our body is one thing, our mind is something else, and our soul is something else. Mm -hmm. Right? So we look for like spiritual, you know, connection and stuff for that aspect. And for our mind, we look for education and other things to really, uh, you know, make that progress and stuff. And then our body, we go to the gym, we do whatever mm -hmm. for our bodies. But I mean, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we want to work on everything together. Um, I know for myself, like for active assistance exercises, it's an all day thing, it's like 24 hours a day, constantly thinking about what muscles you're supposed to be using. And like, I hear your voice in my head, like, <laughs> hey, relax your shoulder, put your shoulder down. <laughs> Stop using your abs. <laughs> Find your hip flexor. But like, you know, in everything that I do, when you transfer to the bathroom, trying to push weight through your feet, really trying to engage your core, doing things in proper form, driving mm -hmm. even. With, I try to drive with my feet um, more, with my foot, sorry, more than I use my hand controls. Um, but that's the same thing, right? Especially going from gas to brake and knowing which muscles to pick up and to use. It's, it's an all-day thing that you have to think about all the time. But that's one of the perks of living with a spinal cord injury, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's important to know that, like, as a client, you don't necessarily have to know all the muscles. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, to have a general understanding of, you know, movement yeah. is really, really important. Yeah, it helps, for sure. Even just knowing the big muscle groups of, like, mm -hmm. you know, what does your quad do? What do your glutes do? What do your hamstrings do? Mm -hmm. It does aid in, like, especially when you're picturing things. 
Like after I was paralyzed, I went and Googled the human body muscles mm -hmm. and I just looked at where they attach, what they actually look like. Mm -hmm. And then I <laughs> look at like really ripped people in the gym working out. And I was like, oh, I see your hamstring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to talk about that visualization, right? Yeah. So, I mean, here we talk, uh, it's, it's motor imagery. So it has its basis in uh, sports psychology, actually. So it's, you know, they had... Uh, uh, basketball players. They mm -hmm. had a group that would practice free throws, so physically practice them, a group that would just visualize it, and a group that wasn't allowed to practice at all. The difference between the group that actually practiced and the ones that visualized was very minute. Mm -hmm. So the, the visualization is very, very powerful, and to be able to harness that and, and see the progress through that, mm -hmm. I mean, we have tons of, you know, numerous clients who do see the progress because they're visualizing. Yeah. Right? So that's that motor imagery, and it's not of what is happening, it's what you want to happen. It, there's a very big difference between that because when you're looking at your leg not moving mm -hmm. or looking at the toe not moving, to some part of you, even though you're willing it to move, you're seeing that it's not moving. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time we'll say, close your eyes, mm -hmm. visualize what you want to happen. Or if you have a stronger leg, look at the other leg, mm -hmm. right? Or you look at the other limb, right? So that's something that we use a lot in partnership with mm -hmm. that active assistance exercises. So we have lots of techniques that really go alongside AAE and really help it along. Yeah. Well, it's just like Dr. Joe Dispenza, what he says about, you know, how you you can use your brain to heal. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's that dis, um, documentary called Heal on Netflix, and there's stories from people around the world who have healed themselves just by using their brain. And I mean, you know, take from it what you will, right? But that's a lot of what we do here is you do have the power to heal yourself. To what degree? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the brain's very powerful, right? Yeah. It's a tool in your toolbox. Yeah. And if you can use it... Why not? Yep. Agreed. Cool. Right. Okay, so that was AAE. <laughs> All right, so our next component is weight-bearing. So this is, you know, the third component we're talking about today. Weight-bearing is very important for, you know, physiologic reasons, as well as, you know, the emotional, mental side of things as well. Um, but physiologically, uh, it helps maintain bone density, mm -hmm. right? That's a really important thing. Uh, it can help with circulation as well. So just getting up and standing and moving, but it's not just standing, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the hands and knees. It's sitting, depending on where your weight is predominantly, right? Mm -hmm. It's not sitting on your ischial tuberosities, which is kind of your sit bones. It's sitting on, you know, with your feet, with your weight over your feet, mm -hmm. right? So it's, you know, just elevating your butt a little bit, putting weight through those feet. That's a form of weight bearing. So when, I guess when we talk about weight bearing, we're talking about the long bones of the body. So that's your femur, your humerus, so that's mm -hmm. your upper arm, your forearm, your lower leg. Those are all our big weight bearing bones that mm -hmm. do reduce in bone density. You know, that's six months to a year pretty dramatically after mm -hmm. spinal cord injury or of non-weight bearing. Mm -hmm. uh, so here we're putting you into different positions, you know, within a realm of safety, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons we, you know, request a bone density scan, you know, just so we are understanding where, what's your risk, what's yeah. your risk factor to standing. If you're someone who's many years post-injury with lots of atrophy, we're going to be less inclined to start with standing. You might just start with sitting with weight through your feet mm -hmm. because, you know, that can start building a bone density in a safer way, mm -hmm. right? And then you might progress into kneeling, you might then progress into standing, but really reducing that risk of fracture as we go, right? But if you have you know, are doing FES on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. or, you know, have spasms and you have that muscle 
pull to pull on the bone, mm-hmm. you're creating that tensile force that's actually layering down more bone. So that's a you know a very good thing about spasticity mm-hmm. as well as it helps maintain that bone density. Uh, another you know just a side note to that bone density is understanding that Botox actually reduces bone density. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the time frame post, you know, Botox, you have to be a little bit more careful because we know there's that reduction in bone density due to that Botox injection. Yeah. Right? So just a side note, the Botox you're talking about is not Botox that goes in your face. <laughs> it is the same Botox. Uh, it's just injected into your deeper muscles that are extra spastic. Yeah, it just, it just paralyzes the muscle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by, in essence, you know, you've now created atrophy. Mm-hmm. So you've reduced the pull on the bone. So the bone density is going to go down. Yeah. All right. So there's, you know, several different factors yeah. that influence bone density. Uh, but one thing we do know that weight bearing can imp- increase it and improve it over time. Uh, another tool we have in the weight bearing position is we can use vibration mm-hmm. to help increase bone density as well. Uh, that might not be the first line, especially if you have uh, lower bone density. We're going to just start with that weight bearing first, you know, because if you think about a jackhammer, that repetitive kind of pounding mm-hmm. can actually create micro fractures if you're doing it at an inappropriate time for that person. So this is where it comes to knowing your client, understanding the risk, and really understanding the depth of what you're doing. Um, yeah, so a lot of different positions. It can be something even as simple as elbows and belly, right? Mm-hmm. Starting off there, getting that shoulder stability, uh, really pushing through there. I mean, the ideal is always going to be the hand, the soles of your feet and the palms of your hands, because we know we have a lot more sensory receptors in those mm-hmm. areas. So capitalizing on that and the peripheral afferent pathways that are always active, pending there's no peripheral nerve damage or injury to that sensory nerve so we can really feed the nervous system with lots and lots of input that can help reorganize all right so you know then moving on to the carryover into daily life mm-hmm. so this is one of the actually weight bearing is, maximizing weight bearing is one of the biggest principles of the uh, locomotor training program that we've carried over into our own program here yep. because we can capitalize and maximize that sensory input to the nervous system and help help reorganize in that way. So this is where we give individuals homework and carry over into that home environment where they can start applying, like in transfers, Mm -hmm. that weight through their feet. Just getting used to the the recovery-based ways of moving mm-hmm. versus the compensation. We're not just muscling through it. We're we're thinking through it with purpose. Yeah. Everything we do has a purpose. Yeah. And if the purpose is to compensate, well, I mean, that's not what I would prefer. <laughs> but for some people, that might be, you know, their reality. Mm-hmm. But everything we do is reinforcing the appropriate kinematics, the appropriate posture, and that recovery-based movement. Yeah, I mean, you know, we want to teach people how to do things the right way the first time because it's really hard to fix bad habits. And as humans, we opt for the way that's easiest and oftentimes that's cheating. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, one good example is uh, tenodesis grip. So for those of you who don't know, it's the shortening of tendons that allows uh, individuals to uh, pick up objects. Okay. So when your wrist is is, uh, flexed, your fingers are extended. So when your wrist is extended, your fingers are flexed. So when you reach down, your fingers are open. And if you just, you know, relax your hand naturally and let it kind of fall towards the floor, your fingers are going to be open. Mm -hmm. And then when you pull the other way, they're going to want to close. So that tenodesis grip is one of the 
primary examples you're going to see, especially with quadriplegics, mm -hmm. of a now functional activity, but to train outside of that tenodesis grip becomes a long, long road. Mm -hmm. um, individuals have been working with this for, you know, upwards of a year and a half, and we're still battling that, you know, little end bits of that tenodesis grip because it's such an ingrained pattern. Mm -hmm. And when you have such an ingrained pattern, it becomes hard to bring up what we call like the dormant path. Pathways. Right. So the other um, movement patterns that would otherwise be more functional have a harder time coming to the surface because the other one is so dominant. Right. Yeah. So let's teach it the right way the first time. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be harder. It's going to be a little bit more frustrating for a shorter period of time. Yeah. Right. Then if you were to let's let you do this you know, let's just even give walking. If you're going to bunny hop, mm -hmm. you know, on crutches and learn to walk that way, okay, that's good, but is that functional? Is that realistic? Is that practical long-term if they're going to get to the point of actually, you know, walking with appropriate kinematics? Yeah. No, it's not. You're going to murder your shoulders. Well, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're not walking with the even the right components well, to your body. That's not walking. Well, no. We'll go, <laughs> that'll be later. You're ambulating. <laughs> But having to understand that if you can train it the appropriate way the first time, mm -hmm. you're going to ingrain some really good pathways mm -hmm. early on, as opposed to have to try and, you know, bring those pathways back to the surface right. years down the road. Cool. And that transitions well into our last um, component of activity-based training. Gate training. Yeah, so gate training. Uh, a lot of people think of just treadmill training or up and walking or let's say on the locomat if they've experienced that in the rehab hospital mm -hmm. um, or even the exoskeleton. You know, those are all forms of gate training, mm -hmm. but they're not exclusively the only components to gate training. So we bring it all the way back down to crawling. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, I mean, that we kind of base our model around is going back to being an infant again. You have to learn to sit up, to roll over, to hands and knees, to crawl all before you're going to stand. One of the reasons infants, you know, go through those phases is learning and understanding their center of gravity, mm -hmm. right? And understand the relationship between them and their world around them, mm -hmm. right? So if you skip over some of those steps, you're, you might be able to walk, mm -hmm. but if you fall, how are you going to get back up? Yeah. Or, you know, there's different areas in which, you know, it makes it a little more challenging or you're going to have slight compensations in your gait pattern or during different things because you never went through it. Mm -hmm. So this is where we go back to that variation and understanding that we need to move through all different levels and layers. And we have so many different uh, aspects to the environment that mm -hmm. we need to fully understand. So being able to crawl, to um, even kneel walk, to walk. Spin bike is a different type of gait training. We also mm -hmm. have the standing frame. Mm -hmm. um, keep in mind, like the spin bike and our standing frame, like the elliptical type motion, that's reciprocal motion. It doesn't mimic a proper gait pattern, mm -hmm. but are there good options for individuals who are unable to, you know, do the crawling, do the kneel walking, do the walking on a treadmill? So mm -hmm. we still have options for individuals who, you know, may be a knee injury or something that they're unable to and you need to keep it in more of a protected position, you can still do different forms of gait training. Cool. Yeah, there's lots, definitely lots to learn about activity-based training, and there is a lot of information, and it goes very in-depth, um, but there's good reason for that. It has to be. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, the more you know, the more you can help those you're working with. So to fully understand, yeah, so when I say understand, it's 
It's to understand to the best of your ability and your current knowledge, but always remembering that there's more out there. So to be open to what others have to say, being able to learn from what other trainers, other physios, regardless of the seniority um, mm -hmm. and you know experience level, somebody coming in might have a really good idea. And if you say, I'm better than you and I'm not going to listen to you, you're missing out. Yeah. Right? So, you know, being able to listen and, and see and take good ideas because everybody who's working in this field ha mostly has a passion for it mm -hmm. and, and should have the passion for it. And, and that's where the clients really excel and succeed. So being mindful then of what you're saying, how mm -hmm. you're saying it, because your words do have impact. Yeah. They, they mean a lot and your, your clients are going to be, or, or patients are going to be holding you in high esteem because, you know, like being mentioned in the last episode is, you know, you're hanging on every word that professional saying to you. Yeah. So one careless word here or there can really have a deeper impact and a lasting impact that, you know, because they care so much about what you say, they're not going to say it to your face. Yeah. They're going to go home and dwell on it yeah. and they're going to think about it. And that's where, you know, creating that rapport and putting the power of recovery and their journey to onto them because it's their journey. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. We're a conduit. We're an assist. Mm -hmm. We're, um, you know, fortunate to be a part of, you know, many of our clients' journeys and, mm -hmm. and we're changed and better for it and, and keeps us progressing and coming back and, you know, wanting to work, but really understanding the impact you can have and what you say. So being careful and choosing your words carefully, mm -hmm. right? And, and being, reading your clients, right? Reading the situation because there's going to be days where they don't want to joke, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, it's really understanding and, and learning as you go. Yeah. And I think that could honestly could translate into almost every profession. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, today we're just talking about us and here, but it is really important for any medical professional to really watch your, your words and uh, to really know that, you know, people value your opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're in that power or that's, you know, position it's of power or authority um, that, you know, what you say and do will affect somebody else's life. Yeah, and I mean, we're trying, as much as we can, we try and get away from holding power over individuals and make them in charge of their own journey, right? We're not, like, yes, we're planning their sessions and, you know, uh, assisting them in their journey, but if they can have control over it, they're more willing to participate and they're going to, you're going to see more progress and mm -hmm. more recovery if they're taking ownership of it. Yeah. So we're not the ones that have to live it. So, you know, we're, we're an assist, but mm -hmm. we're not the main, the main attraction, if mm -hmm. you will. So that's kind of the components of activity-based training. And so something, this is a question that we get asked often. So how does activity-based training differ from traditional physio? Yeah, so activity-based training um, is what most consider more intense, mm -hmm. and it's and it's more focused on recovery versus the traditional compensation. So a lot of physio, you know, is focused on what you have and kind of ignores what you don't have and really gets you you strong. Which it's not bad, but it, that's not the end all be all, mm -hmm. right? You can push for recovery and still continue to to live your life. Um, it's not a bad thing just to want to, um, live the way you are, if mm -hmm. you're okay with that. But, you know, as a professional, don't say this or that, <laughs> right? Because that's up to the individual to choose that part of their journey and to choose which direction it goes. And it can be both. It doesn't have to be just one or the other. 
Yeah, and I think like here, you know, we do put a lot of responsibility on our client. We do expect a level of commitment from them mm -hmm. and you're going to get what you put into our program. And I think that differs a little bit from physio, especially, well, just, I'm just going to talk based off my experience mm -hmm. with it, right? There was never that ownership. It's kind of like, and I had that same thought process of like, okay, I'm paying you a lot of money. Here's my body, fix it. Mm-hmm. And so that's another big difference is we're, we're here. You're kind of like, okay, well, we're going to help you. We're going to be that assist, like you said, but you have to help yourself. Yeah. And I mean, with that assist, it's, we're not doing it for them, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're letting them do as much as they can and you're helping them so they don't get frustrated and don't get to the point of, mm -hmm. you know, being unsuccessful. We're there to assist them to be successful in what you're doing. Yeah. So who can benefit from activity-based therapies? So here at Ryu, I'll just speak to what our programming caters to uh, mostly. So we cater to those with neurologic conditions. Mm -hmm. So the big ones being spinal cord injury, cerebral palsy, stroke. Um, we also have a fairly big undiagnosed population as well. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to shy away from the degenerative neuromuscular conditions. So those are the ones that get worse over time. Um, we do have some exceptions, but it has to be with the understanding that this is not a cure. Mm -hmm. We will not be able to heal you, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's likely more of a maintenance, right. right? There are some conditions that can get worse depending on, you know, exercise and if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Uh, I'll just give you one example, muscular dystrophy, right? If you're doing eccentric muscle strengthening, that's uh, the ones where you're strengthening while you're lengthening muscles, uh, it actually creates more breakdown. Okay. So in an able-bodied person, that would create, you know, more strength and increase the muscle soreness after your workouts. Mm -hmm. You have that DOMS, the delayed onset of muscle soreness after, mm -hmm. you get that pretty, pretty quickly and and uh, feel it for three days after. <laughs> Whereas for an individual with muscular dystrophy, that um, actually speeds up the progression of their condition, right? So that's one thing where if you don't know what you're doing, you can make it worse, Yeah. right? Yeah. So no, operate within the limits of your knowledge base and what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where we talk about um, the undiagnosed and red flags, yeah. right? So if you have an undiagnosed condition, until proven otherwise, we basically treat it like it's non-progressive. Mm -hmm. If we start seeing stuff like muscle weakness, um, you know, labored breathing, that kind of stuff without, mm -hmm. you know, due cause or we're not expecting it, like we're not doing cardio and we're not doing other things and mm -hmm. it's, you know, after their session they crash or they're weak for three days after, then we are going to start to question, maybe this program isn't right for you, maybe we're doing more damage, mm -hmm. right? And we're not seeing that rebound, mm -hmm. right? If we're seeing that steady decline, that's, you know, big red flags that we're going to stop, scale it back, mm -hmm. maybe stop the program completely, you know, say, this is what we've seen, maybe you should go ask your doctor about this, that and the other thing, yeah. right? Um, keep in mind, everybody coming into our program has to have doctor's clearance, mm -hmm. but this is with the undiagnosed, they've been cleared for our program, mm -hmm. but we're do putting extra precautions in place so we can pick up if our program is doing more damage than good. Yeah, and like as a neuroexercise specialist, you, you really have to tap into somebody's body. And you said that a few times, mm -hmm. but this is something where it's really important because if, if you don't see these red flags, you know, things can get in a situation where we don't want it to be. Well, exactly. And it's, and it's asking the right questions because oftentimes they're not going to tell you, right? right? Or they, they won't know to tell you. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to ask those questions like, are they drooling more? Or, you know, do you notice that their speech is a little bit off after their session? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are they sleeping for three days after, right? <laughs> so it's understanding the impact you're having on their, you know, 
activities of daily living, whether it be a child or an adult, right, or a teenager, you know, whatever, you know, age they are, yeah. is this their, their typical or is this something out of the, or, out of the ordinary, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and here at Ryu, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, in Alberta, I should say, there are a lot of uh, supports and programs out there for people with disabilities if you fit into that box, mm -hmm. if you have a label on you. And we've seen the frustration with a few of our clients who don't fit into these boxes. And so like, we've always wanted to create a space that was open and inclusive and um, accessible and affordable to all. And so that's something we really want to stress is that, you know, this we are a very inclusive place and you don't have to have that label in order to access our programming. Mm -hmm. What do you say to somebody who says that this is a joke and that neurorecovery is not possible? Come see what we do. Don't judge out of ignorance. Um, we love having people in our space and seeing what we do and educating. That's mm -hmm. been one of our big goals since the beginning is just to educate. That's why we love our volunteers, mm -hmm. love having our students come through here, uh, learn and really have their eyes opened to yeah. not only the disability community, but what's possible for neuro recovery. So, you know, our big vision is to really bring Canada to the forefront in neuro recovery. And yep. we do that by educating one person at a time who then takes it back and educates their family and their peers and you know really sees that this this is possible and this is real and this is happening yeah yeah we really like to instill hope in people right like we've we've actually been told that we give out too much hope and to that we laugh and say we're going to keep giving out more well and there's no such thing as false hope there's no. either hope or there's no hope and yes. I think that's been uh false hope's been an idea perpetuated by it, within the medical system for way too long yeah right if there's hope or there's no hope yeah you either you know believe in yourself or you don't and here when people come to us initially a lot of people don't believe in themselves they don't have hope they've been told no so many times by so many medical professionals that when they come here they're expecting that mm -hmm. and you know a few of our clients have said to us thank you for treating me like a human and that just like breaks my heart, right? Mm -hmm. Because how are you being treated elsewhere? And I know the answer to that. You're not being treated like a human because you're less than mm -hmm. based off something that is completely not your fault. Mm -hmm. And so that's just something that we do not believe in. We fully want to flip that thought process and just let everybody know that it doesn't matter how bad your disability is or, you know, what, whatever ability you have, your life has worth mm -hmm. and that here you matter. All right. So bringing back to the neuro recovery realm. So activity-based training as a whole is relatively new within Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so we know when physio was starting out, it was considered an alternative therapy, whereas now it's mainstream. Mm -hmm. So we know that as a relatively new profession within our country, we are going to have to prove ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We've known that since day one, and we are working very hard to uh, increase our credibility and and prove, and it's, it's, we've have lots of studies that yes. have proven activity-based therapy and that does work and it's nothing crazy and it's not invasive and it, it's really just exercise with a different focus, mm -hmm. right? And being able to really interpret the nervous system and understand it. I think that's the biggest difference between, uh, I'd say, you know, just regular personal training or physio is we take and understand and apply. Mm -hmm. And while well, we see the results mm -hmm. with it. Does it matter uh, how long you've been injured and can you still see benefit if you've been injured for a long time? 
Yeah, I mean, for with activity-based training, in my personal experience, I've worked with people who are three months post-injury to 14 years post-injury, and everybody's seen progress. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, the only thing we do guarantee is an improved quality of life, mm -hmm. right? Many of our clients do see physical gains. I would say, you know, almost every single one of them has seen physical gains. I yeah. can't think of one who hasn't, yeah. right? Um, but keep in mind that if you can progress, you can also regress, mm -hmm. right? So that's something to be aware of, is mm -hmm. that, you know, you have to maintain it once you've got it. Uh, the nice thing is once you've had it once, it's a little bit easier to get back again because the pathway is there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, there's no limits. And I mean, if you're willing to try, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I agree. I tell people that all the time that, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been paralyzed for 20, 30 years. Keep trying now, right? Use your brain. You got new cells and stuff. They're turning over. So <laughs> might as well take advantage of it. So what do you say to somebody who says, I don't have any feeling, how is this going to help me? Or I don't have any movement. Yeah, so I mean, with feeling, feeling is very, uh, something we experience from the outside in. So we're relying on the environment to tell us, you know, that's soft, that's hard, and you're, and you're interpreting it that way. Whereas you can also interpret it from the inside out. So it's that interconnection. It's connecting from the inside out. Like we talked about earlier, is it's finding, you know, that big toe or it's finding your knee, right? You don't have to feel it to be able to move it, mm -hmm. right? I had a professor in university who couldn't feel his feet, yet he was able to walk, <clears throat> right? So you end up using your different senses mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, now interpret your environment because yes, it's going to be a little different, right? Uneven ground will be a little more challenging. Stairs will be a little more tricky. You end up using your other senses to be able to interpret the environment for you and, mm -hmm. and move. But the cool thing is, is your nervous system has that ability to adapt, right? Think of somebody who's, you know, born without sight. Mm -hmm. They can adapt. They can mm -hmm. still do everything, you know, anybody else can do, right? Yep. Same with, you know, if you're born without your hearing. Your other senses adapt and get stronger, get mm -hmm. amplified, right? Not saying you're never going to get your sensation back. Maybe you do get it back partially or fully even, mm -hmm. right? But in the time where you don't have it, there are other ways in which you can connect and understand, right? So when we talk about, um, let's say we want to connect you know, belly button to your, to your foot, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have, you don't have sensation from that level down, but you can feel your belly button. So it's, you find your belly button and then you go to your hip. And then once you find your hip, you go to your knee. And then after your knee, you go all the way down to your foot. So it's creating that big line of connection, right? Because we're not going to skip over straight to the foot because there's actually a whole leg in between <laughs> your foot and your belly button. Mm -hmm. So we need to get your whole leg. If we don't have the whole leg, then how do you expect it to work together? And that's where it comes back to that connection is you have to connect your entire body mm -hmm. and not just focus on the one part. Right. Yeah. See everything as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, as for uh, not having movement, mm -hmm. I mean, what, where, where do we all start? Do we start with, we start with no movement. Yeah. Right? So we have to, you know, think about it. It's, it's the thought process. It's the, you know, connection again. Mm -hmm. So if you can get the connection, you know, you're going to take off with, with the movement. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's really not dwelling on the fact that you don't have it. It's visualizing what you want to happen mm -hmm. and really focusing on that end goal. Yeah, just as, you know, a reminder that like all spinal cords, our spinal cord injuries are very different, mm -hmm. um, you know, so there can be a traumatic spinal cord injury where an 
say a car accident or a motorcycle accident or a fall or something where you have physical damage to your mm-hmm. spinal cord. So somebody, and then you have non-traumatic spinal cord injuries, right? Where mm-hmm. you, like for myself, where I was, there was a virus that attacked mm-hmm. my spinal cord. And so everybody's completely different. And so what you get back from it is going to be completely different. And we can't predict that. No. We can't predict that. So, I mean, you know, the goal is always, you know, recovery function below the level of injuries. What yeah. that looks like, we don't know. No. And uh, yeah, another important thing is that we try to tell people not to compare, right? Don't compare yourself to somebody else because you're not the same person. You don't have the same injury. Even if you have the same injury, you're still not going to have the same symptoms and you're still not the same person. But as human beings, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to each other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can lead down a rabbit hole that you don't want to go down. Mm -hmm. So we really try to tell people just, you know, compare yourself to yourself. Make videos, look at how you did the same movement three months ago to how you're doing it now. So you don't see these differences on a daily basis. And because you're not seeing them on a daily basis, now it puts it back on your trainer, your specialist, those that you're working closely with to sit, to celebrate those little, what we call them inch stones, right? They're the little things that are huge. Mm-hmm. And if you don't celebrate them, they, they don't see them because they're living so close to it every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, one day they weren't able to do it, now they can, but they don't necessarily see it that way, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, you know, transferring onto a couch for the first time, putting their hair in a ponytail for the first time, feeding themselves, brushing their teeth, yeah. talking, yeah. eating. Yeah. Like there's so much more than just, oh, I can do a bicep curl, yeah. right? We celebrate all the, the the seemingly little things that make such a big impact day to day. Yeah, and how we celebrate this is we have an achievement board on our wall, and every month we write down all of the amazing achievements that our clients make. And I remember when I first saw my name on the Project Walk achievement board, it was just gave me a really big sense of like confidence and accomplishment. Like, wow, I did something so good that they put it up there. Like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but because they made it a big deal, it really resonated with me. Like, you know, I still feel those feelings today. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, giving that feeling to our clients where they come in and they see their name on the board for something that they thought was very minuscule, mm-hmm. it just kind of gives them that like confidence and that little like push to be like, oh my God, I am doing something cool. Yeah. It gives them the boost. And I think it helps them start recognizing their progress in day-to-day life as well. Be mm-hmm. like, I, I had that last month and wait, oh wait, was I able to do that before? Mm-hmm. Oh no, I wasn't. Right. And I think too, the board helps other clients celebrate with, it's the community celebration. It's more than just, you know, that personal between you and your specialist celebrating. Mm -hmm. It's everybody can see it too. And then they cheer each other on. So it brings that community celebration into it as well. Yeah. We share these posts on Facebook or on our social media as well. And it's, I know people have told me that they love reading it because they love seeing all the amazing things our clients are doing. And it also puts things in perspective for a lot of able-bodied followers that we have to, you know, really don't take these things for granted because a lot of these things we do, mm-hmm. right? And so it's uh, that's some of the comments that I've gotten back from our followers is like, thank you for posting this because today I am grateful that I'm able to put my hair in a ponytail without any struggles. Mm-hmm. And so that really warms my heart because we really want people to change how you see yourself and change how you're seeing the world because we need to live in a more inclusive world. And, you know, we all have the mobility we have, but it can be taken away in an instant. Mm -hmm. And so try to be grateful for what you have. So with activity-based training, there we've talked a lot about perspective, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of what we're bringing it back to is 
perspective is a very individual thing um, in which we can create a lot of change just by changing that outlook and that perspective. So from the point of view of a specialist, from a trainer, we help give you a little bit more perspective and help guide you a little bit more mm -hmm. through um, phases of recovery. So we really shy away from creating labels and putting people into categories, but in order to teach and to uh, learn activity-based training well, um, we've created um, some phases that we can help to progress clients, okay. right? So it helps guide your goals, your thought process. Uh, so phase one is focused primarily on the core. Um, this is not saying you're not doing uh, any of the other components. You're not just doing core training, you're doing all of the other components. You're doing AAE, you're doing weight bearing, you're doing gait training, and you're doing core, right? Remember, AAE is the foundation to activity-based training. So it's, you're actually doing the most of it in that mm -hmm beginner phase in that phase where you're focusing on core. It just means that in every exercise, your focus is core, mm -hmm. right? If you're doing hands and knees, you're focusing on the core. If you're doing weight bearing, you're focusing on the core, right? You're standing, you're focusing on the core. You're kneeling, you're focusing on the core. You're gait training, you're focusing on the core, mm -hmm. right? So in every exercise, your focus is core, right? So in AAE, it might be you're just holding the core still mm -hmm. and you can still focus on that hip flexor extensor or, or whatever it is you're working on, right? You're, you're settling the core, you're using it mm -hmm. so that's kind of phase one then phase two we're working more on that pelvis so we're going down a little bit lower so we're focusing on your glutes your hip flexors we're going into that low abs mm -hmm. that, that entire pelvic anterior tilt posterior tilt is really what we're looking for uh, so here you can see the focus is shifting now. We're not just on that upper core. Mm -hmm. So we're not just on, you know, rectus abdominis, obliques, back extensors, rhomboids. We're now moving a little bit lower. We're looking for that anterior pelvic tilt and hold, right? So in that position, we're now focusing hips, glutes, that lower down in every position. So in that weight bearing, in that gait training, you know, now we're we're going to be working towards that stepping action, right? In gait training. Mm -hmm. And then AAE is still very important in this phase as well, mm -hmm. right? And then we're moving on to phase three. And that's the strength. So now you've got, you know, more connection to the extremities, whether that be arms, legs, or both, right? And uh, here you're working to get stronger. So you have the connection, you're getting stronger. So this is a phase in which a lot of individuals tend to plateau mm -hmm. uh, just because it, it's harder to get strong, right? right? To really build up that muscle bulk is mm -hmm. really what we're going for and get that endurance. So you might be here a little bit longer and think of how many muscles that entails, yeah. right? So, you know, that's why it's really important to know your muscular anatomy and understand what moves what and what... Um, facilitates and augments a specific movement because there's not just one muscle that does that movement. Mm -hmm. Muscles have many different functions. So you, especially as a specialist, need to understand and know how many different movements these muscles are able to do mm -hmm. and which ones are accessory muscles and secondary movers and primary movers. <laughs> and if you're in the field, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, it's really important, especially in that phase. But leading up to, you should be have, have laid all the foundation, that groundwork for this phase. Okay. Right? So, you know, they're moving through one phase into the next, into the next, and then we get to the fourth phase. That's the one where you're moving more towards being in Asia E. This is a, a on the Asia scale, so mm -hmm. you have A, B, C, D, E. Mm -hmm. E is not as commonly talked about, mm -hmm. right? So E is that you resemble a able-bodied person. You know, if somebody didn't know that you had a spinal cord injury, mm -hmm. they wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. If they didn't know you, they wouldn't know you had a spinal cord injury. So that's where, you know, your spinal cord injury isn't go, gonna go away. 
way. And that's why we say recovery is a journey. It's a process, yeah. right? Because it doesn't just disappear, <laughs> right? It doesn't just magically go poof and it's gone and you're, and you're healed. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> and we hope awesome. one day that is going to happen and we're going to find that cure. Um, but right now that's not a reality. Yeah. So, you know, they're still going to have those, those, what, what now we term that hidden disability, right? Right. Of, you know, they still have the spinal cord injury, but they might still have, you know, struggle with bladder, struggle with bowel, have right. days where they're very spastic still, right. right? Have days where they have lots of pain, right? So pain is a very real topic for many of our clients, mm-hmm. which we're going to do a whole nother episode on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to realize that it's a journey, it's a process and to get to phase four, you know, is a huge goal for many people to get back yeah. to that, you know, resemble their life before, yeah. but realize it's not going to be the same. It's still going to be different. Yeah. Right? You can still chase after. I mean, this is, this is the goal. This is the phase where you get to chase after your big goals, mm-hmm. right? Get back to doing all the crazy things that you want to do, um, as you did them before. Mm-hmm. So whether that's mountain biking, that's skiing, that's snowboarding, that's riding a horse, that's playing with your kids, mm-hmm. you know, freely without limitations, physical, uh, barriers, that, that type of thing. Right. So that phase four is always that ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't get as many individuals in that phase, but we, we definitely see, you know, phase one, two, three, mm. lots of people through there. And I mean, I think people also kind of, once they get to phase four, they tend to drop off a little bit because they're <laughs> yeah. able to, yeah. right? So I think that's, you know, reward in itself that they get to that, you know, the end of phase three and they say, thank you very much and see yeah. you later. And yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. Let's get everybody there. So just wrapping everything up here, our program has been called intense. It is intense. If you've gone through it, if you've done it, it's hard. It's not easy, but that's what you need when you're trying to change your nervous system. I can say some people have thought it's aggressive. Um, in terms of like traditional therapy, they think our programming is, is aggressive. Um, I don't like that word because aggression, aggressive implies, uh, like a negative connotation. Yes. It's, uh, you know, anger. Mm. It's, you know, that, you know, punishment almost, yeah. right? So for us, it's intense. Yeah. We fully admit that it's intense, mm-hmm. right? But I only have you for one hour or two hours in a day. There's mm-hmm. 23 or 22 hours, depending on what you're coming for, mm-hmm. in a day. So what we do here helps to kickstart your nervous system. And the more we can do in that hour, the more nervous system is going to kind of wake up and say, hey, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, if we were to water it down, that's not going to benefit me and mm-hmm. it's not going to benefit the client, right? I'm not, not going to be happy with it. <laughs> I think that's my biggest thing is I will not be happy with it. And I know that. So if you're expecting a watered down program or to me to, you know, scale it back, not saying all my programs look intense. Mm-hmm. There's different ways in which it can be intense. It right. can be brain intense. It can be physically intense. Yeah. And there's days for both. Yeah. Right. The days in which you're not ready for the brain intense, you do the physically intense and vice versa. So we're not saying there aren't going to be days where it's not going to look a little bit less intense Mm -hmm. to the outside eye, but Mm -hmm. it's still going to be intense. And, you know, although we've used the word intense a lot, it doesn't mean that we have a very stern attitude here. No smiling and no laughing. No laughing. (laughs) If you're having fun, get out. (laughs) No, we promote that. We want everybody to have fun while you're here. Uh, you're in a better learning phase. Your brain is in a better learning phase when you're in a happier mood. And we want, we want it to be a fun experience. And so, you know, the frustrations and stuff that's going to happen, bad days are going to happen. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, everybody has a really good time when they come here. And, um, 
you know, that's what we, that's what we want. We also, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what Beam is saying there is like, we really cheer each other on mm -hmm. and get excited about the little things and you know we're always pumping you up to make you push that little bit harder and and keep going right I mean we are personal trainers and cheerleaders and we wear a lot of different hats in a session yeah. but it's all to really push you to where we know you can go mm -hmm. we're not going to push you to the breaking point of you know slip sliding over the edge to the depression of you yeah. asked me to do that I can't do that yeah right? Um, because there is a limit, mm -hmm. right? To understand where they're physically capable and letting them struggle excessively. And that's where we kind of bounce back to really knowing your client. Yeah. We're going to push you because we know you can do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I have clients that remember their first day very vividly because we had them do something they didn't think they could do <laughs> and they did it. Right. It's, yeah. It might be something as simple as, you know, transfer to this chair. Yeah. Right. A client, I, you know, told him to do that and he looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> but I'm like, well, come on. He's like, well, you know, I'm paralyzed. Right. I'm like, yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll help teach you how to do it, but you're going to do it. There's no reason you can't. Yeah. Right. So it's one of those. Now we've taken them from that shell and said, well, why am I going to treat you differently? Yep. You know, I'm going to treat you like I would anybody else. Yep. And I think that takes people aback initially, but then they understand it and appreciate it. It's because you've been told so much in the medical system that, oh, you're paralyzed or you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do that. You can't mm -hmm. is what they hear a lot. And so when you come to us and we say, yeah, you're paralyzed, but that's not an excuse. Still do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> People are, yeah, are often taken aback and be like, they expect so much out of me, but it's just that you can do it. Yeah. And after they do it, they're like, oh my God, I did it. Yeah. Right? And it's just showing people that you have so much more in you. We believe in mm -hmm. you. We see that potential. And so it's just really getting the person to see the potential in themselves. Yeah, we pull it out of you and then yeah. show you what you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we really are on, honestly, we're honored to serve Edmontonians, Albertans, Canadians, and people of the world. Um, what Nancy and I have created here is sometimes surreal we get busy in our day-to-day -day lives of trying to just you know answer emails do this but sometimes we have to take a look step back and look and see that we've actually created the center and our hard work is paying off and not only in our clients lives but in really changing the system as a whole yeah i mean and the support that we've gotten since day one has mm -hmm. been phenomenal yeah incredible right so i mean that's you know reward itself and, and it shows that we're making a difference yeah. So, I mean, aside from all of the hiccups along the way, the support has been unwavering. And I think, you know, we, we truly appreciate that from, you know, the Edmonton and greater community. Yeah. From everybody, all the people who are on our, you know, sponsor wall, mm -hmm. everybody who's financially donated to us or who's energetically donated to us or volunteered their time with yeah. us. We truly are so appreciative and we would not be able to have created this or be where we are without the support that we've gotten. Well, on that note, I guess this is the end of our episode. Yeah. <laughs> so if you guys would like to know more about Nancy or I, um, you can follow us on our Instagram, which is at reuprc, R-E-Y-U-P-R-C, or you can uh, reach out to us via our website, www.reu.ca. See you next time. <laughs>